I, I was probably about, I don't know, about 14 years old, 13 or 14. And, and I remember the conversation very clearly. My dad pulled me aside one evening and he said, Tim, I want you, it was during the summertime, he said, said, Tim, I want you to go plow this field for me. Uh, my, my grandparents were farmers and my dad had kind of taken over part time for my, my grandfather. My dad worked for the railroad, but uh, farmed a couple hundred acres, uh, for grandpa on the side. And, and so I'd grown up around the farm. I'd grown up driving the tractors and, but for the most part, all I'd really ever done was pull a wagon and, and I'd disc, but I'd never really plowed very much. And so dad pulled me aside that day and said, Hey, I want you to plow a field. And it was a field about, about seven or eight miles from my grandparents' house, closer to where we lived. And so dad said, I, I want you to plow that field. And when you're done, go back and unhook the plow and, and hook the disc up and disc it. And when I get off work, then I'm going to, I'm going to show up and I'm going to plant the field. So, so dad said, now, do you remember what, what I've taught you? Cause he had talked about what I needed to do and how to get it started. And he had showed me before he taught me those lessons. And he said, do you remember how to do it? And, and, and help me out, guys. I'm going to sound kind of foolish here, even though I was raised around a farm. I remember him saying something about a dead furrow. Is that is that something, farmers, help me out here? Is a dead furrow something? Anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Is that where you start when you start plowing? You start. You don't start there? That's where I did. But, but I remember, Dad, tell me what I needed to do and, and how to get started. And, man, I was stoked. So the day the, the next morning I got up and, and I drove out to my grandparents. Now, unlike uh, Illinois, unlike Kansas, you don't get your lights in Illinois till you're 16. So I was 13 or 14, and so I was really stoked that I got to drive Dad's car all by myself out to the farm, somewhat illegally, I guess. But uh, um, we didn't have any cops in the air, so I I drove out to to the farm and, and I, I got on the tractor. And I remember driving uh, about that 20 25 minute drive back towards my hometown of Woodlawn to plow the field, and I'm I'm sitting on top of. of uh, my dad's, uh, Alice Chalmers 185. And man, I'm feeling pretty large. I'm sitting there driving that puppy. Got the radio turned up to the St. Louis Rock Station. Man, I'm feeling pretty, pretty cool. And I, I, I remember I would, would throttle down and throttle back up so a big old puff of black smoke would come out of the exhaust. And I was feeling, I was feeling pretty good. Uh, and I remember one other thing my dad had told me, kind of at the end of all of his instructions. He had said, now Tim, remember when you go in that field that you have to go in at an angle. Be, because if if you don't, you'll drag the plow. The, the, this field was lined up where where you went in. The field was actually a little bit elevated because the rest of the, the areas it was on a corner of a road were, were ditches. And this one place you went in was elevated. And so, so when I finally got to the field, I remember my dad's words. And I drove in the field at an angle. I figured out what I was doing. I got the plow, the field plowed, and, and I stopped and kind of looked out over what surveyed what I'd done. And I felt pretty good about myself. In fact, I was feeling so good about myself that when I drove out of the field, my dad's words were long gone. And I drove straight out of the field, and when my bottom tire, my, my back tires hit the road, thump, I stopped dead. I mean, it shocked me, like, what happened? And, and I turned around, and there the plow had dug in to the ground behind me. I thought, oh. I remembered what dad had said, no big deal, I'll just back up. <laughs> I didn't back up. <laughs> All I, so I put it back in, in, in forward gear and, and all I did was end up digging a couple ruts where I spun the tires out. Now lucky for me, there was a guy next door, next field plowing or disking or something. He came over, pulled me out and I thought, dad will never know. <laughs> Later that night when dad got home after planting, he, uh, uh, he thanked me and then he said, so uh, you got the tractor stuck. I'm like, man, that guy ratted me out. And he, 
could have. He, he must have pulled by the look of my face. He said, uh, no, I, I saw the, the ruts, Tim. And, oh, you know, I, I learned a couple lessons that day, valuable lessons. Number one, I learned that my, uh, my dad, uh, my dad knew what he was talking about. Uh, kids, let me just throw that one out there, kind of blanket. Uh, you may not want to believe it, but, but your dads do and, and your moms too. They, they do really know what they're talking about. And here's the second lesson I learned, uh, to, to go in that field at an angle. Uh, I, I continued for the next four or five years while, till I went to college working that field. I plowed a couple more times and every time I, I drove in and I, if I walked out of the field, I walked out at an angle just to make sure. Uh, I've got good news this morning. Jesus teaches us lessons. We can learn lessons from him. Uh, the text that I'm going to look at this morning is in Mark chapter 5. You have your Bibles. Go ahead and turn to that. We're, we're looking Mark 5. It's the first 20 verses are the verses we'll look at. Uh, and there's kind of an odd text uh, to preach a sermon on. I've uh, In the last two or three months, I've probably read the Gospel of Mark seven or eight times. And I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest, every time I read the Gospel of Mark, I never once came to this passage and thought, wow, that, that'll preach. That'll, that'll be a great sermon. And, and I, if I'm really honest with you, I, I can tell you I pretty much just skimmed those verses because because I, I really didn't think there was anything there for application too much for us. And, but that was until this week. Uh, I, I read the Gospel of Mark one more time, and, and I actually was planning on preaching on something different today. And this time I read that, and, and those verses just jumped out at me, and, and the message... And the lessons that we can learn from that just jumped off the page. And I want to share those with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, look, you probably know the story, remember the story. Um, and, and so maybe you're guessing or wondering how in the world are we going to get something out of this? So, so Mark chapter five, they went across the lake to the, to the region of the Gerasenes. Now remember, uh, we're at in the text. Last week we talked about, uh, uh, there's good news. He, he calms storms. Remember we talked last week how, uh, how they, Jesus said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. Well, this is the other side. This, this is the end of that story. They got out in the middle of the lake. The, the storm came. They thought they were going to die. Said, don't you care about us? And Jesus is like, why don't you have faith? And they're like, what, what, what? He's got this kind of power. All that stuff was going on. Well, this is at the end of that story. This is where they were headed when they, uh, they got in the boats to head to the other side. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you will, that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. When Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. Uh, uh, the demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirit came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside. 
and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had, who had seen it told people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, which means ten cities, uh, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. What What is glaring to me, what, what just shouts off the page here, is the first lesson. Is a unspoken lesson. Uh, now, 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 do you catch this? This this may be kind of a tough question. I'm looking for an answer here. So, so if you know the answer, go and go and speak up. Uh, do you recognize what's missing from this story? I read these twenty verses. There's something that that to me is just obvious that's missing. Did anyone catch that? What's missing? Okay, let me let me redefine that a little bit. Uh, there's an interaction that we don't see in this story. That didn't help you any either. Okay. Who isn't mentioned in the story? That's a dead giveaway. Come on. Anyone? Okay, I'll tell you. Uh, the disciples. In, in this story, nothing is said about the disciples. Now, every story about Jesus doesn't include the reaction of the disciples. Jesus does stuff and and, and it's not recorded in the gospel. Okay, the disciples said this, or the disciples said that, or Jesus pointed this out to them, or he said, hey, listen up on, on this lesson. So, so it doesn't happen every time, but, but I, I think it is, uh, I think it's odd that in this story, Jesus had said to the guys, hey, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. And, and in the middle of that journey, the storm came down, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat, they think they're going to die. They, they, they've seen storms before, but this one's different. It's worse. And they think they're going to die. And then Jesus calms the storm. And then they get to the other, they, they get to the other side. What was going through their minds? Their minds had to be reeling. They were still dripping wet from, from the storm. And as soon as this story is over, as soon as this plays out, Jesus says, okay, guys, get back in the boat. We we got in the boat and went to the other side. And now you're saying get back in the boat. Do you remember this will tell a little bit about myself and uh so for some of you I apologize for for others, like, yeah. Uh one of my favorite movies is uh actually a series is uh uh the National Lampoons vacation movies. I I love those. My wife not so much. Uh but my boys and I uh, my boys and I uh, love love uh Chevy Chase and they're in, in the first movie they're on their way to uh, uh, to Wally World and just meet with all kinds of problems and 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 they find themselves in Arizona and I can't remember if Aunt Edna is still on the top of the family truck or not but they find themselves at the Grand Canyon. Remember that scene? They get out and it's a panoramic view of the Grand Canyon. They stand there and Clark goes, "Okay, back in the cars," because they got to get to Wally World. Reed and I uh, uh, many years ago went to to Colorado for vacation. Went to Durango, backed up to Denver for a convention, North American. And uh, and then we drove up to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, 
on a Sunday night, we did a scenic tour down the Snake River, and, and then the next morning, Monday morning, we, uh, we went into Yellowstone, uh, at about nine o'clock in the morning. We went, went in the southern entrance of Yellowstone. About three o'clock in the afternoon, we went out the eastern gate of Yellowstone. We did Yellowstone in a day. Old Faithful, come on, Old Faithful, blow so we can leave. The, oh, oh, those mud pots, oh, oh, those are pretty cool. Let's look at the waterfall. Wow, there's a buffalo, some elk. Let's go. We've got to get to our next place. I don't suggest doing Yellowstone in a day. Uh, but, but that's kind of what had to be going on here with the attitude. We came all the way over here. We talked to this one guy, and now Jesus is saying, get back in, back in the boat. Um, now, and maybe there was some interaction there. Maybe Jesus said stuff that's not recorded, but you know, I, I kind of think not. See, on the hills of Jesus demonstrating his great power by saying to the wind and the waves, be still, he also demonstrates his, the, the gentleness of his compassion. And he teaches his disciples this lesson, the value of one. He teaches them the value of one. See, apparently Jesus had went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I don't believe this is random. I don't believe he was surprised by any of the events. He wasn't surprised by the storm. That's why he was sleeping through it. He wasn't surprised that this guy was going to meet him on the other side. Uh, Jesus' sole purpose to go to the other side was to see this one guy. You see, up to this point... uh, for the most part, up to this point, there had been crowds. Uh, we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We talked about Matthew. Remember, remember that story? Jesus was walking on the Sea of Galilee uh, when he called Matthew, said to Matthew, follow me. But what, what did that passage tell us? There, there were crowds all around him as he walked on the Sea of Galilee. Remember the story we talked about it, him, him uh, healing the paralytic? Uh, they dropped him through the roof. Why did they have to drop him through the roof? Because there were crowds. The, the house was so full that people were spilling out into the doorway out in the street, there there were crowds. If you read verse twenty one of Mark chapter five, when they get in the boats, they go back to back to where they came from, and he is met by crowds. Now it is wonderful, it is great to have crowds. In fact, man, I am excited to have a full church. Let me uh, uh, challenge you again to be inviting people to be here on Easter Sunday. I want I want to fill the church. In fact, Tom really wants to sit up on the stage. So we're going to feel this on Easter, and Tom's going to sit up there, I think because he wants to make faces at me uh, uh, during the sermon or, or, or lay down on the pew and go to sleep. I'm not sure. But, but I, hey, be invited. Crowds are wonderful. It's great that there were crowds, but, but Jesus was teaching the value of one. I, I think that the disciples were, were excited about crowds. I, I think they were thrilled that there were people there. They were they were getting energy. They were they they, they were uh, getting excited because there were all kinds of people uh, around them. But one of the unspoken lessons here that Jesus gently taught them is that that I'll run you through a storm. We'll get in the boat and go to the other side for one, because I value one. The book of Acts chronicles for us the story uh, of the start of the church. Uh, uh, Acts chapter 2 tells us the Holy Spirit came on the disciples and they preached and there, there, were, there were thousands that were converted. We see that several times in the book of Acts where, where gobs of people were, 
were converted. There were huge crowds and and, and after persecution, the church spread and, and literally the whole world was turned upside down because of Jesus. And there were crowds everywhere. But even in the book of Acts, we see the value of one. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 8, we, we read the story of Philip uh, being called away to, to meet the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading from Isaiah a prophecy about Jesus but had no idea what it, what it meant. And, 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 and Philip preached to him and, and that one person was baptized. In Acts chapter 10, Peter went to the Gentiles for the first time, went to Cornelius, to, to he and his household, to people that were, were gathered. There's the value of one. In Acts chapter 16, we're told the story where Paul went outside the city of Philippi and, and he met a lady, uh, 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 Lydia from Thyatira, a dealer in purple cloth, and he converted her. And then we see uh, Paul in, in prison and he converts the Philippian jailer. And we see at the start of chapter 16 of Acts that he takes Timothy under his wing and mentors him and then it installs him later on as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. It's great having churches, but G, or large crowds, but Jesus, but Jesus wants us to understand the value of one. I believe this story, which is stuck in between two stories of crowds, is there. So we understand that one is important. If you get nothing else out of today's sermon, so, so if you get this, write this down, underline it, make a note, and then I guess you can sleep the rest of the way if you want. But if you get nothing else, get this. That Jesus values one. And He wants us to do that as well. See, I, I want you to see that we are called to, to be a light. And most often, most often we're going to be called to be a light, to make a difference in someone's life, and it's probably going to be one. I hope you have a huge crowd that you can speak to. I hope you have people standing in line to listen to what you have to say about Jesus. But my guess is most times the one, the, the people that you can influence for Christ is going to be one. Larry Davies in his, in his book, Sowing Seeds of Faith in a World Gone Bonkers, tells this story. He said he was in the grocery store and, 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 and he was in a hurry, and as he as he pulled up to the uh, to the checkouts, he he saw the lines were kind of long, but he saw one line there was only one person. So he whipped over there real quick, and and he noticed that it was a young mother, and all she had in her cart was was about fifteen or twenty jars of baby food. He says jackpot! It won't take her long to get checked out and out the door, and then I can get checked and I can be on my way. And so he was pretty excited as as the, the checker put the the the, the the baby food through one after another. And then the lady handed her a check. And as she ran that through the machine, a note came up, a little message came up on the screen that said, see manager. And and Davey says, oh man, something's wrong with the cash register. And and so the lady got on the intercom and hollered, uh, 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 manager, I, I need you at register too. And, and, and in the interim, she tried to, uh, tried to run the check again, but the, the same message came up. See manager. And he's sitting there thinking, $7.53, that's all the lady had to pay. And the manager showed up, and, and he didn't even look at the cash register. He just looked at the check. And then he looked at the lady and began to talk, and he said, my, my heart kind of sunk because I knew what was going on. See, there's nothing wrong with the cash register. It was the check. The check wouldn't clear. What was wrong was her account. And he he said, I thought to myself, $7.53. I don't have a lot of money, but I could afford that. 
And he thought to himself, you know what I ought to do? As he started to walk off, I ought to holler at her and say, ma'am, ma'am, come back here. Put that baby food in with my stuff and I'll buy it. He thought I should have hollered at the, the manager. Hey, can, can you ring that up? I'll, I'll write a separate check for her stuff. He said in his book, I thought that's what I should have done. But he said, instead, what I thought was, man, she doesn't manage her money very well, does she? She couldn't even afford seven fifty three. And then he thought, well, maybe she's an alcoholic. Maybe she's wasting her money on drugs. That's why the problem is there. He said the rest of the day he was haunted with this notion, with this idea. I had an opportunity. <laughs> I had an opportunity to make a difference with one. But I didn't. God is going to call us. Christ is going to call us to make a difference. And more times than not, it's going to be with one. Will you look for that chance? Will you look for that opportunity? Will you look for that door to open? Will you look for that person that needs to be valued and you can show the value of one? Here's a second lesson that Jesus taught them. I think it was unspoken. And, and it's simply this is the, the victory can be won. See, they, the disciples had to assume that when they got to the other side, there was going to be a crowd. I think that was in the back of their mind. Well, we're going over there. There's going to be a bunch of people. I don't know how Jesus knew this, but there's going to be a bunch of people waiting for us. They're going to get out. They're going to handle crowd control. They're going to introduce themselves. Hey, I'm, I'm Peter and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of the first ones he called. Uh, if you have any questions, just talk to me. You can talk to my brother Andrew. James and John's over there. If you need some help, they can help you as well. And, and I'm, I'm sure that they, they, they assumed that there was going to be a crowd of people there. But instead, the text tells us that as they pulled up, and I imagine it says he saw Jesus from afar, and I imagine they saw him from afar. So as they pulled up, there was no one on the beach. In fact, the only thing they saw, the only one they saw was his lonely figure up on the hillside among these tombs. And and, and as the guy started running down, I imagine as he got it closer and closer, the disciples were straining to, and, and, and Peter leaned over to Andrew and said, is he naked? And Andrew, whose eyesight was a little better, said, he's buck naked. This is going to be funny. This is, oh my. And, and, and as he comes, we're told that he was screaming. So, so he came down and his hair had to be wild and dirty and matted. Uh, there, there were scars and scabs all over his body because it says that he took rocks and he cut himself. I imagine there's some places that were fresh, bleeding. And I imagine he had one of those rocks in his hand. And he comes running down and he is screaming. And, and, and since he was uh, possessed by demons, I doubt that it was just a normal old scream. I imagine it was demonic sounding. It was scary. It was blood curdling. And... And the disciples, as as he came down and Jesus spoke to him, I imagine even though Peter stood a little bit behind Jesus, like, Jesus, you go ahead and talk to him. Some of the ones in the boat that hadn't made it out yet probably sat back down. I'm good right here. I'll just I'll just stay stay right here. Uh, and they had to be thinking to themselves, why? Why are we here? Why are we here? But Jesus taught this taught them this lesson that that no matter who it is, no matter how bad they look, no matter how difficult the situation, no matter how demon-possessed or how far gone they are, that the victory can be won. Over in James chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, 
Uh, look with me, James chapter 2, 1 to 5. Uh, uh, James writes to the believers there, and he kind of throws this out, and he talks about favoritism, but, but kind of underlying there is this idea of faith. Because I think that's really what was going on. He says, don't show favoritism between rich people and poor people. But really, I think the, the, the message is, don't look at one person and say, man, that guy can, he can be saved. We can convert him. Well, this guy, he's too far gone. Look with me in James 2. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become just with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? I think the unspoken message here, and it's an unspoken message to us, is the victory can be won. I don't care who you come in contact with. There may be a guy at work, and there there may be a lady that's a neighbor across the street or the alley, and you're thinking, well, they'd never be interested in God. They'd never be open to a message of Jesus. And his disciples must have thought that too as they they pulled up to that side of the sea. And and Jesus' message was, hey, the victory can be won. He he taught them an unspoken lesson, but he also taught them a a life-changing lesson lesson. Uh, Jesus took them to, them to the other side to teach the disciples these lessons, but but that was only ancillary. That was only second to his real purpose. His real purpose was to change lives. See, Jesus went all the way to that side. He's going to run into one guy, but he went all the way and went through all that and put his disciples through the storm because one guy needed to know that Jesus could change him. And more importantly, what he was teaching his disciples was that that he hates demons. That Jesus hates demons. Jesus is uh Jesus is here today. And now, now I don't I don't want you to freak out when I say this. I don't want you to call a special board meeting and call me on the carpet, but Jesus is here, that's good, but what I'm going to say next might scare you. So are demons. Uh, so are demons. Now, 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 maybe not the classic way, maybe not the way we see in this text, or maybe so, but, but the reality is there are people here today that are struggling with demons in their life. Now, you don't have to think of it as being possessed, but the reality is Satan is powerful. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, uh, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 12, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The reality is, guys, there are there are people struggling with demons. Demons of lust, demons of greed, of loneliness, depression, addiction, pride, anger, hatred, gossip. Let's, let's just be, let's just be brutally honest here this morning, if you don't mind. Let's just call it what it is. 
there are some of you here today and you're struggling. And, and there's demons in your life. There's demons in your spirit. And, and so, again, I don't, I don't necessarily mean you're, I'm not saying that you're demon possessed, but, but Satan has, has, has some, some control in your life and you're struggling. Now I know we, we all walked in the back door and we had smiles on our faces and we had a Bible stuck under our arm. And, and when someone looked at us and said, how are you doing today? We smiled and said, man, I'm doing great, better than I deserve or, or whatever our pet answer was. And, Reality is inside and underneath we are struggling. There, there are husbands and wives here today that, that smiled as they came in and they're sitting there and they look like everything is going great and their life is perfect and man, it is wonderful to be married, be married to this saintly woman and this godly man is my husband. I am so blessed. But, but if we only knew that they're hanging on by a thread, if we only knew that they're struggling, I want, if that's you, I want to tell you this, that Jesus hates that demon. And, and there's some teenagers that came in this morning, and, and, and you strutted in like you have it all together. Man, man, I have got life by the tail, and everything is great. Man, I love my life. But underneath that exterior, your head is spinning, and you are overwhelmed by the pressures that life is throwing at you, and you are struggling. And I want you to know that Jesus hates that demon. And, and there's men that came in a day and they had their Bible and, and, and they, they, they look like they've got it all together. Maybe they taught a Sunday school class or, or, or maybe they led prayer time. And I'm not pointing anyone out specifically. Maybe they, they prayed during a time. And, and what we don't know is that they're struggling. They're struggling with addiction to pornography. Something similar. And, and I want you to know Jesus hates that demon. Or maybe there's some women here today that you, you look like you got it all together, but you walked in and man, your life is a fantasy. You're, you've got a hole in your heart. Maybe it's a hole that's in your marriage and man, you, you spend your whole, whole days thinking about what could have been and what might someday be. And you try to feel that through buying stuff or or trying to look the best, whatever it might be. I just want you to know that Jesus hates that demon. Or maybe you're, maybe you're struggling with an addiction. No one knows that, that you, you've got to take that drink every night to calm down. And maybe every morning to get perked up. Or you've got to take that illegal drug or that prescription drug. I just want you to know that Jesus hates demons. Maybe you're here and you're wondering, does anyone really care? Do I have any value? I'm so alone. I'm so scared. I'm so frightened. I want you to know that Jesus hates that demon. Jesus wants you to know instead that he wants you to have life. John 10, 10 says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. And he wants you to know that you don't have to live in darkness. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a life-changing message. Jesus hates demons and he heals. Jesus heals hearts. He touches our hearts and makes them okay. Let's move on quickly to the last point. The last lesson we learn here is a ministry lesson. Kind of an interesting text. Look at verse uh, verse uh, uh, 15 in Mark chapter 5. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been uh, who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
they saw him, and this guy before that was running around terrorizing him. No one could stop him. He, he was he was a mess. And they come up, and now he's sitting there, and, and I don't know where he got the clothes, but he's dressed, and he's in his right mind, and he's talking normal, and, and Jesus has cast the demons out, and he's got it all together now, and it terrifies them. And, and they ask Jesus, hey, man, would you... Would you leave? Now, now I understand the reasoning. It was somewhat financial. You know, he had put the, cast the demons to the hogs and they had ran into the sea. And I, I understand all the stuff that was going on. But, but this guy had been a mess. And now he was okay. And they said, would you leave? And, and as Jesus got in the boat, this, this man that previously had been demon possessed came to Jesus. And the scripture says he begged Jesus. He begged him, can I go with you? Here's the first ministry lesson. Is Jesus going to lose, use us in our location? Um, in, in Mark chapter 3, if you want to look back, you can see it. Uh, we, we see the story where Jesus calls his apostles. He, he calls out 12 different guys, Peter, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, all, all these diff, different guys. He calls them to, to be his inner circle. And for three years, they, they travel with Jesus. They, they left everything. They left all their stuff, they left their families and they, they walked with Jesus. But for the most part, that's the only time that Jesus asked someone to leave everything, to leave their homes and follow him. Every time after that, Jesus called people to change in their location, to stay where they were and be an example. Why, why did this guy beg Jesus, let me go with you? Oh, I know why. Everyone knew him there. Everyone knew what he had done. Everyone knew what he had said. Everyone knew what he had been. And and he was scared to death to stay there. Uh, we had a kid at Rushville. He was the same age as my middle boy, Joel. His name is Brian. Brian's a good kid. Grown up to be a fine man. But when he was in high school, he loved to go... He loved to go to church camp and uh, CIY and, and 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 anything the church youth did uh, because when he when he went to those places he could be what he was afraid to be at home because when he was at church camp man he was the spiritual kid you know who I'm talking about when he went to CIY he was the one that went up on the last night and rededicated his life and and, and dedicated his life to Christians so I'm gonna I'm gonna be a preacher I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna make a difference. And, and year after year, he would go to those events, he would be pumped up, and, and, and around everyone there who didn't know him except for the kids from Rushville and the youth minister, uh, he was someone totally different. But boy, when he got home, boy, it was so hard. It was so hard. If we could have said to Brian, hey, Brian, why don't you move and you go home with this group? Man, I, I think the kid would have ended up in Bible college. I think he'd have ended up a preacher. But, but we're called to be God's examples where we are. It'd been so much easier on this guy if Jesus said, hey, get in the boat. Peter, move over. We're taking him with us. But instead, he said, your ministry is in this location. And, and the second lesson uh, is simply this. The ministry lesson is that, is one in being a, lesson verse 20 says so the the man went away 
and began to tell in the Decapolis, which actually was a fairly large area, like I said, 10 cities on the east side of the Jordan, uh, east side of the Sea of Galilee. He, he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. It wasn't easy. In fact, it was probably tough. People that knew him would say, hey, weren't you that guy? Why, why should I listen to you? You, you used to chase me. You used to throw rocks at me. Why am I going to listen to you? But Jesus called him to be a lesson. And he did. You, you probably don't know the name. Uh, Lindsay Snyder. I doubt you know who she is. Some of you might know the company that she runs. Uh, if you've been on the West Coast, it's one of, it's one of our stops whenever we go to California. Uh, there's different restaurants we hit and we always stop at In-N-Out Burger. Have you ever been to In-N-Out Burger? Uh, a few of you have? It, it, it's a staple on the West Coast and uh, Arizona and places like that. L- Lindsay's the, the president of, of In-N-Out Burger. It's a, a, a restaurant that started out with one hamburger joint that her dad ran and, and then it exploded and, and now it's a multi-million dollar company. And she runs this company, but she tells her story in a video through the series I Am Second about how God changed her life and changed her from being chained. She loved her father and her father was such an important man to her life, to her and then, and then he passed away and her life fell apart and, and she struggled to find meaning in life. And, and the way she chose to find it was through men, through three different failed marriages and relationships too many to number. She tried to find purpose and meaning in life. And she was chained, she said. She was chained to the sin in her life until finally she realized that Jesus gave her forgiveness and acceptance and His grace covered her. And He let those chains go. This morning, there's some of us, maybe all of us in one way or another, that are easily changed by, by the sin in our life, by the demons that want to take control of us. And Jesus has come to set us free. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, thank you for this story that we learn these lessons from. Father, you value each and every one of us. You value, oftentimes, just the one. The story teaches that lesson to Jesus' disciples and transfers to us that you have so many people that you want to change. And Father, you're going to use us to be that example, to change that one. Father, we're here today, and and we may look like we've got it all together. We may look like there's no problems. We may look like like we have all the answers. But Father, there, there are demons on our shoulders. We're weighed down by, by, by miscommunication in our marriage. We're weighed down by addiction and, and, and greed and hurt and and loneliness, and bitterness, and anger. Father, you want to free us today. You want to free us today from that addiction. You hate the demons in our life. Father, we ask that you give us freedom in Jesus' name. Amen.